0: Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all,
1: you belong here. Good morning. I have the introduction to the scripture and the scripture. The Greco-Roman literary tradition took the genre of parable in somewhat restricted manner. The Hebrew literary tradition gave the genre a much wider understanding. Parables combine the qualities of narrative, metaphor, and brevity. A parable must tell a story with a double meaning in as short a space as possible. One meaning will usually be quite clear on the surface of the narration, but another and presumably a deeper meaning, and possibly multiple meanings, lie hidden within the complexities of the narrative. And these challenge or provoke the recipient to interpretation. Parables are lures for interpretation, and also revelations of the very process of interpretation itself. In our reading this morning, we will read one of two parables that Jesus presents centered around the theme of growth and expectations. The parable reminds us that, quite often, the most impactful and meaningful actions spring from the smallest of places. Today's scripture is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, Verses 31 and 32, he put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. May God add a blessing to the hearing of the word.
0: silence of the heart you speak. In the silence of the heart you speak. And it is there that I will know you, and you will know me. In the silence of the heart you speak, you speak. Of the, the silence of the heart
2: thank you grace and peace to you dear ones We made our way through the Beatitudes over the past two months and now we also still find ourselves in the Gospel of Matthew. But this time we're looking at the parables of Jesus in this new sermon series, Radical. Parables to transform the world, in which in this we'll take a deeper look into six of Jesus' parables. The parables are also found in the Gospels of Luke and Mark. They really vary based on the Gospel writers and the intended audience. I want to say here that um, they may not seem like it at first glance, but these parables of Jesus, they really are kind of radical. The fact that the powers that be at the time that Jesus was speaking these very words, thought that his message was too subversive, his influence too vast, and his ideas too revolutionary, these parables got him into a lot of trouble. Now, if you'll notice in your bulletin, you'll see that the very word radical comes from the Latin meaning radix. And in fact, these parables in in which we, we examine them and study them, they are kind of radical in that they help us return to the roots of our community of faith, the very essence to who we are called to be as people of God. And from these parables, we learn from the life of Jesus and consider how they and us can transform the very world. Another definition of the word parable that I like a lot when translated means thrown alongside. So last month, when looking at the Beatitudes, we learned together how the Beatitudes kind of are the foundation or the support for life itself. But think of the parables of Jesus this way. The parables are are the stories thrown alongside of life, the ones that accompany us through life parables you see are are not to be mistaken for a roadmap or an entry pass into how to get into the kingdom of God, or they're not really intended to be spoon-fed directives to us, but rather they are metaphors, invitations for us to see ourselves within God's stories. Parables, the way I think of them, are kind of like a kaleidoscope that when held up to our different lived experiences, we too, each of us, even those of us gathered here, catch a glimpse of God breaking in and a sliver of what's possible. You see, parables generate a new meaning of light and life in the context of new situations, They're not some one-size-fits-all commentary, but rather in the hearing of these very words, each one of us has something to contribute to the construction of their meaning based on where we are in our own social location. And yet at the same time, we're kind of challenged by these words. We don't exactly know what to do with them. The parable of the mustard seed, as you heard in the introduction to the scripture, is most often explained as a metaphor for the early Christian church. It's the byproduct of of what happens from discipleship. But you already know this, and maybe some of you, and uh, I, I found this out after the first service, maybe some of you, like me when you were little, even had a mustard seed piece of jewelry. Um, It was kind of seeing that mustard seed as a radical reminder of what's possible, of, of what could come from small things. This kind of never doubt that a small group of people could change the world sort of message of Jesus. Maybe you, in your own way, in your own context, have signed up to be a part of mustard seed ministry wherever you are. Maybe that's doing small acts of kindness like at East Elementary or or contributing to the life of your community in so many different ways. Maybe that's being involved with groups like United Women in Faith. And even if we consider this parable in light of the invitation to grow something small and watch it turn mighty, we, I think, can learn something more from this parable deeper than just what's on the surface. Now, I I must admit, I haven't really spent a lot of time considering mustard seeds before this Sunday, or mustard even for that matter, except I know that generally I prefer Dijon instead of stone ground, And I'm not really a fan of yellow mustard unless it's in potato salad or deviled eggs, which both will be at the United Women of Faith um, luncheon after this, so I'd invite you to come. But here's the thing about mustard seeds. They actually come in 40 different varieties. And the mustard plant itself is considered a shrub, not a tree, as we learn in the scripture. And it wasn't until hiking the Nativity Trail this past March in Palestine that I really saw what a mustard seed could do. I gained a little more perspective. You see, a mustard seed starts really, really small, but actually it becomes taller than I am. It's not just some shrub mixed in on the ground. It's very mighty. Now, Part of my job and responsibility calling as a preacher, I feel like, is, is to be relevant. So, as a side note, I feel like it's important to share with you that here on August 5th, it's National Mustard Day in America. So, um, just to, to keep you relevant, um, French's Mustard has partnered with Skittles And you can sign up and go and taste test a mustard-flavored Skittled, if you so desire, on that particular day, August 5th. And I I just put that out there because I feel like some of you are really going to take this message to heart today. And who knows where this mustard seed-making ministry will take us. So a little about the context in the Gospel of Matthew, the time in which it's written and the region and the landscape in which Jesus is living. The writer of Matthew notes that Jesus is speaking these parables in such an uncertain time, in the midst of conflict, when Jesus himself is being rejected by religious leaders of the day. At the same time, there was this new community being formed. and There was a lot at stake for the land and for the people. Purity laws, as we've talked about it before, were kind of driving the ethics or norms of the time, and those purity laws were being enforced and expanded, mediated by the Pharisees as a means of self-preservation against the occupation. But they were clearly defining a who's in and who's out. Harkening back to the Old Testament purity laws in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, Jesus was speaking this mustard seed parable at a time when there were strict prohibitions for the mixing of fibers and seeds and people. Now, in Judaism, there is a kind of practice, the practice of kadoshem. And in the biblical context, what that means is kedoshim was essential for maintaining a separate and distinct identity. It was considered crucial and necessary for ancient Israelites to remain holy and pure. So if you will imagine with me this time of Jesus, impurity simply meant eating the wrong things with the wrong people at the wrong time. It could mean mixing the wrong fibers as in our clothes. It can mean not washing one's utensils properly. It also meant not planting crops in the prescribed order in a straight row with other seeds. It also meant not speaking with women in public or coming in contact with a leper or a corpse for that matter. So here's the cost of that though. If someone was considered ritually impure, which had nothing to do with sin or immorality, they were excluded from the community of faith and they were actually excluded from worship. And only could they be back invited into the community or to worship after they were purified. And this took a long time for some people, and over time it actually cost people money. So this garden referenced in the parable of the mustard seed isn't exempt from these purity codes. It meant that gardens had to be holy, plants had to be separated from one another, clearly marked and maintained in distinct rows. Now Rev. Jerry and I had a lot of fun earlier talking about this. I can for sure say I probably wouldn't have lasted very long in ancient Israel for a variety of reasons, but mostly because I kind of like to mix things up. You see, I plant flowers or seeds kind of like I eat my food. I don't eat it in a straight order. I kind of mix things. I like sauces. I kind of like to mix things up. In this particular parable, we hear again that this, this seed is being cast into the garden. And guess what? It's going to mix things up. So hear this different translation from the Common English Bible. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and planted in a field. It's the smallest, tiniest of seeds. But when it's grown, it's the greatest, greatest among herbs in a tree so that the birds of the air can come and lodge in its branches. Now to me, that sounds like a great idea, but I'm not really a horticulturalist and I'm nowhere near a master gardener. And I think it's a great idea. But here's the thing. I did a little more research because I wanted to know, why were people so upset about mustard seeds? Here's what I found. The black mustard seed is most likely what was being referred to in this parable. It was both a crop and a weed. As a crop, it was used for spices and medicinal purposes, but as a weed, this mustard seed grew out of control. Think of like crabgrass or kudzu. And so while I think about this parable, and I understand it was written in a different context in a different part of the world at a different time in history, I'm pretty sure this parable has something to say to us today about the weediness of who we are. I think it's no um, coincidence that it just happens that we have this parable on United Women in Faith Sunday, because these women too are a little weedy from what I know. When I think of United Women in Faith, again, the, the women that we celebrate today, I think of my great-grandmother, Nettie Lee Light Stapleton. She was one of the first United Methodist women that I knew. I think of her and so many other faithful and fierce women I have known through the years, women who were especially gifted at making the best and really anything out of something small, making it great, working with what they had, even with weeds. Now, my great grandma was born in the Tennessee Valley in the heart of Appalachia, and she would transform day-old mashed potatoes into potato candy. Now, if you don't think that took something, it did. And if you haven't tried potato candy, I'd invite you to, it's actually pretty good. She also would take vinegar and turn it into pies that we would all sit there and enjoy. She was famous, however, for her poke salad, a dish that was actually made with poke weed, a pervasive green that can be toxic if not ingested properly. Poke weed, you see, is prevalent all throughout Appalachia, and poke salad, as it kind of came to be known, was the make-do dish in rural impoverished areas in Appalachia. Pokeweed, like mustard seeds, can be forged in many different places. And like parables, pokeweed can be found alongside the road, ditches, surrounding fences, and basically anywhere where weeds tend to pop up. Now, according to the Gospel of Southern Living, pokeweed— actually went from weed to this salad that was considered to be one of the stables across the South that created sustenance for people that were deeply lacking in food. I think that's pretty awesome. So My great-grandma was creative and inventive, stubborn and resilient. She had a guarded optimism and a deep and abiding faith and was sturdy to the core, even at 98 pounds, maybe wet, and 4'11". When I think of her and I think of my other four mothers in the faith today, they have been women with backbone. Heck, they're probably some of the farmers out there casting the mustard seeds. These women were and are so much more than cookies and community circles, but women engaged in transforming the world by inventing the world around them, working to improve the lives of women and children, mixing things up, planting mustard seeds. I would say that, in fact, many of them, like many of you, are the mustard seeds of our church Meanwhile, back at the garden, Jesus is painting a picture for us of this nice, orderly, contained, proper vegetable garden that is about to be messed up with some mustard seeds by planting this invasive weed. And that, that is the kingdom of God. I want to just let that sink in for a minute how real and radical that is. I can almost see the look and the confusion on the religious authorities of the day, the disgust, the outrage, the questions. What do you mean? What do you mean Jesus is talking about planting weeds in our pure and perfect gardens? What do you mean the kingdom of heaven doesn't work or look like the way that we think it does? Now, the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven is a sermon unto itself. And for those of you who have just seen the Barbie movie, I want to be clear that I'm talking about another type of kingdom here, not the kingdom. And um, the kingdom or the kingdom of God that I'm talking about is something kind of radical and miraculous. And in fact, marvelous. It comes from a reality whose very presence is once seen as weak or small, but transforming in a way that, that leads to building up and sustaining and nurturing us as people of faith. I'm kind of digging around and doing my research for the sermon, I, I took a lot of time looking at other horticultural references in the text, and I found that the cedar tree in the book of Daniel is the one that likely was, was one that we would have most expected Jesus to choose for the nation of Israel, for it was known as being a symbol of great kingdoms and empires. But instead… The kingdom of God is brought to you today by, get this, an invasive common weed planted in a garden. I love that. How cool is that? So when we really take that in, Jesus, who is a man created in the image of God, just like you and I are created in the image of God, Jesus is supporting and advocating and doing all the very things that will cause him to be seen as impure and ineligible to be in the presence of God. And in fact, he's doing things that really would get kicked out of the community of God's people. In this mixing of seeds and planting weeds, Jesus is elevating the outcast, the impure, the unholy, the marginalized, the cast aside. And I don't know about you, but I hear that and I think, wow, I don't know what's more radical than that. Time and time again, when we look at these parables, when we look at the Scripture, we see that Jesus put the worth of people over religious rules, rules that still show up, unfortunately, in our communities of faith today, rules which encumber and exclude people. So you see, The way I see it is the parable of the mustard seed is, at its heart, teaching us about radical inclusion. Jesus, I think, is saying to us something to the effect of, if you allow the kingdom of God into your midst, it's going to make a mess of your neat, tidy, uniform garden, and it's going to cause quite a stir and mix things up. It's going to mix up ideas and people and who knows what might happen. I hear that and I think, yeah, we're going to be a little uncomfortable. Heck, we don't even know how to do this. But on the other hand, I think what Jesus is giving us is a possibility that is far more life-giving, liberating than any of us can imagine. So with no disclaimer, this parable of the mustard seed, Jesus makes clear with no apologies or concern for purity that the kingdom of God breaks down all barriers of separation. And in fact, the kingdom is going to attract and shelter the very ones that everybody else is trying to keep out. That's real. That's radical. That's inspiring, especially to people on the margins. And maybe it would be a little terrifying if your authority is tied up in institutions or purity or self-preservation or containment. So I wonder, what are we going to do with these teachings of Jesus? As individuals and in a community of faith, I wonder, what are we holding on to or holding back from and trying to maintain simply because we're not sure of what will happen if we cast these seeds? I wonder if we can really live with this messiness in the kingdom of God. I wonder which one will win at the end of the day, order and orthodoxy, exclusivity, or the radical, inclusive, liberating, and love of God shown to us in the words and life of Jesus. So while the size of the mustard seed is important, Perhaps what's more relevant and real and transformative is the gift of this holy mess that comes from this magnificent weed of the mustard seed. Defying all the powerful definitions for the way it should be, a weed becomes the greatest among them puts forth branches for sanctuary so the birds can make nests, and so we can all hang our hopes and dreams on this kingdom of God. It reminds me of the story of one woman, when Gare Matai, who watched as her beloved Kenya was stripped of its trees as poor people foraged for firewood. At the time, the land was bleak and stripped bare, She started alone and then gathered more women, starting the Green Belt Movement in Kenya. Together, these women planted 30 million trees across Kenya. On the day, probably maybe one of the most celebrated days of her life, when she received the Nobel Peace Prize, she took off her jewelry, she knelt in the dirt, she planted another seed and planted another tree. Friends, this is mustard seed ministry. It's radical. It's a reminder that we can all do something. We can all start with where we are. According to pastor and author Nadia Bolz-Weber, this mustard seed kingdom way of living and loving, well, it's, it's kind of seen as God's way of letting loose a little comic relief on the larger and darker dominating powers that be. A kind of like kudzu, if you will, across the gospel. She says that it really only makes sense that God's word is meant and has to be this way because the good news of the kingdom of God started with the destabilizing humor of a God that comes to us in the form of a servant to an immigrant unwed mother in the form of Jesus who dined with prostitutes, sat with traitors, was arrested, and then beaten, and tried as a criminal. You see, this parable makes plain that the heart of the gospel turns everything joyfully on its head. And with that kind of radical reframing, all thanks to a mustard seed, it only makes sense for us to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile, to give rather than receive, to go out and love our enemies, to trust in a God that is strong even when we are weak. God could have chosen the cedar, not the mustard seed. But that's the radical nature of this parable and how you and I might take one step closer to this kingdom and return to God, our source, through life in Jesus Christ. As we continue this series through the the parables, I pray that the radical nature of Jesus move us into action, disturbing our souls in the very soil underneath us. I pray that we too seek to transform the world, no matter how small we start. So may the seeds of our witness grow into a sanctuary where all God's children know that they can feel loved and safe and belong. May those weary from the world find shelter here in our presence, in our community. And friends, may our love be messy And may God's grace be abundant. Now, I hope you'll get to planning with me. Our takeaways for today are simply this. The kingdom of God is indeed messy. How awesome. No matter how much we think we know, we are still surprised that the kingdom of heaven doesn't work the way that we expected and can come from something small and insignificant like a tiny weed. And Jesus, in life and death, put the worth of people over religious rules that excluded and encumbered. May we do the same. Let us pray. Generous and ever-faithful God, you have spoken to us through your inspired word. Grant us grace to not be mere hearers of your word, but doers also. Guide us from here by the light of your Spirit, that we might believe and act on what has been revealed to us today. Amen. May it be so.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the Incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.